Hi and welcome to the Psyche Podcast where we discuss all things mindset, mental well-being and living your best life. I'm your host Hannah and I'm a mindset and mental well-being coach and the founder of Psyche Coaching. Welcome and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Psyche Podcast. I hope you've had a good week and that you enjoyed our double drop of episodes last week and it was a double double, uh, two episodes and two guests on each one and on Wednesday the show with Nicole and Laura from Psyched uh, Conversations on Relationships, Self-Development etc. I was on their show on Friday last week so if you haven't had a listen to that check it out. I'm talking about mental well-being in a bit more depth, what it's all about, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, So this week's episode, we're joined by Dr. Faye, who will introduce herself. And a little disclaimer, this episode was recorded, ooh, March, probably. So kind of right at the beginning of Corona. So we sort of reference it, but it's interesting to listen back to uh, the way it was viewed when we first heard about it to obviously what we know now as the science has changed and our knowledge of corona has changed uh, so that's quite interesting um it's also an interesting conversation because uh, Faye and I are coming from different uh, spiritual faith backgrounds uh, so as Faye will say she is a gospel minister uh, so a lot of her answers um, and obviously her view of the world is coming from that faith background and I am not a Christian um, but I always find it interesting to talk to people from different backgrounds, different beliefs and seeing the similarities and I think regardless of your own faith there is so much value in what Faye has to say that can be applied no matter what what your own uh, religious or spiritual background is. Uh, so Thank you again to Faye. I'll probably say thanks so many times in this at the end, but I really hope that you enjoy this episode. We've got a lot on trauma and healing from trauma, but also a lot. uh, This week's theme of the week is about personal responsibility, which is something that Faye talks about quite a lot in this as well. So I hope you enjoy it and I will be back afterwards. Hi everyone, and I'm really happy to welcome this week's guest, Faye, to the podcast. Welcome, and if you can introduce yourself to us and tell us a little bit about you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Hannah, for having me on your podcast um, today. I am um, honored to get to share with you and your audience. My name is Dr. Faye Yobamainti. I am a wife, a mother, a minister of the gospel, and I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and raised in Nigeria, Africa by my paternal grandparents. And um, I currently, right now, co-host a Christian um TV program with my husband called Oasis Connection um, through our nonprofit Oasis Focus Inc. Um, we're blessed with three adult um, daughters who live in different parts of the world. We're empty nesters and um, enjoying um, life in the season of our life. So again, thank you for having me. Very welcome. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. So um, I really, when we have guests on the podcast, it's really interesting to hear about people's experiences and you know, from childhood through adulthood and the things that really, I guess, help shape who they are and, and the things that they've learned from. So do you have anything in particular that you feel has really helped you become the person that you are today that 
that you're happy to delve into today? Yes, that's a great question. I think origin is always key. Um, you know, origin forms a foundation about life, about everything that we get to do. For me, um, my origin started, of course, with both of my parents are Nigerians. They were here in the U.S. Um, at the time that they had me in the 60s to go to school. So, and after they had me, things did not work out between both of them. So um, I was fortunate, and I say fortunate because uh, you look at the foster care system, I'm sure they have that in the UK. Here in the US, they have what they call the foster care system for children that um, their parents, you know, were not able to raise them. In my case, I was fortunate because I was put on that 16 hour flight, um, even though all by myself, but I had the blessing of um, the flight crew that took care of a six months old um, little baby girl going traveling across the ocean. And I was raised by my paternal grandparents. And my paternal grandparents at that point in time, I saw them grew up to know them as my own parents. Um, but God will not have chosen some of the best treasures he's had to raise me. And my paternal grandfather was um, a minister, as well as what you call a homeopathic doctor. That means a doctor that took natural path to healing. Um, and my grandmother was a retired school principal. So I grew up with these two amazing individuals where I learned everything about life. I learned about marriage. I learned about um, commitment. I, I learned every single thing through the lens of their own life. And of course, um, they showed me what it meant, what commitment, dedication meant, what integrity meant, what um, it meant to reach out to your community. Everything I learned about life, I learned from them. And um, I also had the opportunity growing up with them to um, go to what they call a boarding school. And you know, a lot of the colonized countries in Africa um, have boarding schools. So I was one of those that was fortunate to go to an all-girls boarding school. That presents its own set of um, foundation and origin for you because of the discipline, the rigor, no kind of excuses kind of um, perspective about life. And uh, I was fortunate also to be one of the leaders um, there as um, you know, I came towards the end of my schooling there. So all those things shaped and built me to who um, I am today. And um, when you talk about resiliency, when you talk about commitment, when you talk about an approach to no nonsense type and no excuses whatsoever, um, all that I learned um, from the foundation that I had with my grandparents. For example, a key thing towards the end of my grandfather's um, life, lived up until his 90s when he passed, he had, um, uh, he had Alzheimer's um, um, disease, and I watched how my grandmother took care of him, took care of him with no complaint whatsoever, um, with the best of patients you could ever see. You see nurses and doctors, you know, in the hospital that are trained to do it, and you expect that from them. And then you see a spouse that um, because of the level of commitment and love that they have for one another, even though she knows that this um, other spouse might not be able to reciprocate in whatsoever sense, but the deep commitment of taking care of another human and 
her spouse, her husband, with such care. Um, that marked me in a great way. So who I am today, the foundation that I had started with those two amazing individuals. And that does not mean I did not have other people in my life, um, like uncles or aunts, I did, but it's not as spending committed, regular, consistent time. And so when you look at that, these two individuals were the ones that were there. I remember, and I always go back to this. One day I was sharing it um, with my youngest daughter. She had asked me a question not too long ago, and I was sharing that with her. At a point in time, they were not, you know, all that wealthy, um, you know, people, but they were very hardworking, truthful people to the core of who they are. And there will be what we called retired, you know, people um, at this point that they got their finances from their retirement and things like that. They own properties and things like that. But there was a point in time when, um, when things were hard financially and they needed to pay my tuition or school fees, like they call it. And you know that in boarding school, even though the government provides free education, However, boarding schools are not free. Boarding schools are paid. They're more like you're paid private schooling. And it was an all-girls um, Anglican um, boarding school. So it, it came to time to pay the tuition, the fees, and there was no money whatsoever. I will never forget what she did. She took her clothes. My grandmother took her clothes. And these were stack of... Um, yet to be sewn material, you know, that is using sewing material. She took them and she took them to the market to sell. She sold them and the proceeds she used in paying my fees. That was how much she believed um, uh, in me. That was how much she cared. That was how much she knew that I needed an education, that there was no excuse. She sold her own clothes. Mm -hmm. And so when I was sharing with my daughter, she had asked me a question, you know, how will I handle this, you know, in the situation that she shared? And I shared that example. And I said, it would have been easy to say, well, we don't have the money right now, you know, okay, you wait out, um, because that does happen, you wait out till we're able to have that money and then you go back. She took the stack of her clothes in her wardrobe that were sitting there and she sold them. Now that was a mark of a caring, loving mother that there was no way, no excuses. She did not want the lack of money at that time, at that season to be an excuse. Those things have marked me. I am really fortunate because I have tons and tons of such memories, but that's one that has marked me, marked me in the approach of life that I live with no excuses, the personal responsibility that you, you take to basically live the life that you've been given. Life is a gift. So, so those are just some of the um, foundation that I had that has marked me to who I am today. And I'm very grateful for each one of them. That's an amazing example of the, the loving, supportive um, character that, that, you know, that she had, but also, I guess, the, the value of education and the value of 
you know, being there for, for your family. And like you said, no excuses that you know, will find a way to, to give you that continuity that you needed and the value of education. And um, yeah, so thank you for sharing that example. It's, I think we can quite often get into that. Oh, it's can't do that because, and, and maybe, and, and maybe there are value, valuable or legitimate reasons why things are not possible or difficult but I think sometimes we're very quick to just oh it's not possible without exploring ways of being able to to you know achieve whatever it is and that's just an example of if something is important there are ways to be able to uh, make it happen that's very true that's very very true and I think um, for me, it's something that I come back to even when I was back here in the States. Uh, I know something she did all the time was sit down every week to write me a letter every single week, even though she knew it will take um, a long time before those letters get, got to me. But she knew that I will get a letter at least either every other week there will be a letter that comes in because she did it consistently. When I did not have the chance, you know, starting out um, in life and um, being who I am today and money was scarce to be able to make phone calls, international phone calls, you know, that cost money um, back then. And um, I look back now, I say, wow, I just met, you know, I just made a call yesterday, um, by the way, an international call. But Thinking back in those days that I did not have that option, um, I knew that a letter will come from her. And um, I will also inculcate that discipline into my life in writing letters, which is why I love letters um, today. I love letters. I love cards. I know there's technology, there's social you know, um, platforms and things like that. But um, for me, and there's a lots of people that believe in that, sitting down and penning down your thoughts to someone um, just shows the depth of how much um, they love you, they care for you. So I, I was fortunate to have, you know, such examples. And yes, you're very right. Uh, it's a constant reminder when I think about her sacrifices for me and my grandfather's sacrifices for me as well. Um, but paramount in the whole thing was my grandmother's sacrifices for me. It molded and shaped me to who I am today. Mm. And I suppose that both parents are role models to us, but there's something about the, the, the same sex parental figure as a role model that's almost showing you, you know, what it means to be a woman or what it means to be a mother. Um, so I think there is something special about that connection as well. And it, and it sounds like there is a lot in your character uh, that has been shaped from from having such a powerful role model in your life thank you it is you know my grandfather uh, was an african methodist pastor and he had the foundation that he gave me was one of discipline and discipline so and all my um, cousins when we um, go to, when we basically, because I stayed with them, but when they came from holiday time and holiday season, it's something that we always joked about that, oh, grandpa doesn't play, you know, grandpa doesn't play at all. So we know that. And we knew that if we needed to get away with anything, oh, grandma will let us do anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
the difference in both of them, the difference in each one of them showed us a mark of what a home looks like because men are men and women are women. And every single one brings something to the table um, that shapes a child or shapes that home. So each one brings something that will shape a life for the best. And in my own case, for both of my grandparents, I'm fortunate for that because my grandfather was more of the disciplinarian, you know, the stern one. And I remember, and I shared this with my daughters um, growing up uh, when we homeschooled. And I used to make the fun that, oh, you think you really have it hard growing up? Think about growing up with a grandfather like mine. This is what my grandfather will do. My grandfather will send me on an errand and um, the errand will be, you know, a couple of um, blocks down. At least it will, it will take you at least 15 minutes to walk there. He will speed on the ground and he will say, you must be back before this speed dries up. And I remember he's sending me way there to go buy something that he needs either for his formulation or for home. And he spits on the ground. Guess what I do? I take off running. People are telling me, hi, hi. I don't have time for hi. I don't have time to be distracted. I am running because he spat on the ground and I know what it means if I came back and that thing had dried. That means I took too long. That was the timer. And so I will run. And when I got there, I will tell them what I wanted. There was no time to socialize. I got what I wanted and I ran back and made sure. Well, of course, you know, they knew also that, you know, I was very um, jovial and I never met strangers and you could send me on that errand and I could be there for hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's bring the other perspective in. I could be there for hours, but he doing that, speeding on the ground, gave me boundaries and let me know that my grandfather means business. I need to be back before that speed dried up. My grandmother was totally the opposite. My goodness, you know, she was the epitome of spoil. And, you know, when I say spoil, spoil. And, you know, I, I, I was spoiled by both of them in their ways. But my grandmother doted so much on me and did spoil me. And um, she always looked at me and said, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And so when you look at both, you see that having parents and having both in one's life do add something to one's life. However, I want to say this for your audience, because again, we go back to children in foster care right? Children that don't have the privilege to have two parents that care for them. However, you have an individual or people in your life that care for you. I think the key focus that we focus on is if a child happens not to have both parents or have that entity that can provide the different aspect of humanity or the different aspect of life for them, However, do they have one person in their life that believes in them? One person in their life that can give them the nurture, the care 
that lets them know that they matter and they va their value. I think that's the key focus here that I think does us good as a society, you know, at whole. Because if that is the case, we won't have to have um, a lot of orphanages around the world of children with no parents. Some never even met their parents or with children that their, you know, their mother had them and said, I don't want them. We have those. So their lives are already marked with rejection and abandonment from those that they felt, you know, brought them into the world. So, but I think the key thing is having that one person in your life that shows that your life matters. Um, you have significance. I care about you. And I think that's really the focus for any human being, for any child whatsoever. If it's that one person that is able to do that for them, I think it serves us very well as um, a society or as a human race in general. So mm. I think, you know, even uh, someone could be could have two parents, but there could still be that missing support that you've just mentioned that someone believing in you and someone supporting you and and vocalizing that because I think that's really important to to feel that support but also to hear it vocalized as well and so I think that is really important to note that 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 is the the um the support or the um the nurturing that that children need and just having you know two parents physically that doesn't necessarily unfortunately mean that that, that they're getting that support and Again, yes, if we look into um, to children who are in the foster care system, then it possibly is, is even more of an issue, particularly, I don't know if it's the same in the US, if they've gone through quite a lot of foster homes and then having that repeated, um, you know, breakdown of, of nurturing relationships. And, and I think we do have a, a good foster care system in the UK, but there, there are more children that need someone than there are foster carers. So it's still you know, unfortunately not, not, I guess, supporting young people as much as it could be because of sure. That's very true. Um, you, you've spoken to something that is very important and I can um, attest to that because I was a high school biology teacher and, um, and you know, high schoolers, they're teenagers. So they're between the crews. Um, these are students that are 16, 17, 18, because, you know, they're in high school. They have to do biology because without biology, they can graduate. I'm sure it's the same in UK. Mm -hmm. That's how the curriculum um, he is here for high school. That's part of their essential um, you must have, you cannot graduate high school without it. So um, I, I have the opportunity to, you know, to teach and to serve a lot of students with that. You know, every high school teacher um, typically will have a workload of 160 to 70 or 80 students. Now, a key thing for a lot of my students, and I share this from middle school and to high school. So I did middle school science and high school. But high school was really the breaking point that I saw a lot of what you just described. A lot of them had two parents in, in, um, in, at home, but one was gone all the time because they had to work, right? And so they had, you know, their children. So, and one was there, but still was not there, uh, if you know what that meant. And, and then there were many that um, did not have any, and they were raised just like me with, through grandparents and some with aunts. 
and um, and some with siblings that the older one has assumed the role of the parent because the parent was um, in the, either incarcerated or not there or not in the picture. But one thing was common with all the um, children, basically, with all the students. They needed someone outside um, to care for them because they didn't have that. And so for me in my classroom, a lot of my students knew that some did not have a means of eating breakfast. And I was fortunate to have a huge um, lab so that had um, storage facilities. So I will buy snacks from um, one of, they call, I, I, I'm sure they have that there too, like Sam's or Costco that we hear mm -hmm. where they sell wholesale and go there and buy all these wholesale stuff and have them. And they knew that anytime they came in before the first bell rang, they will always find something to eat before they went to another classroom. They don't necessarily have to be coming to my class for first period, but they knew that. One of those students contacted me, let's see, before we went to Africa, we went to Africa last year, November. I think she contacted me September of last year. She found me somehow and she said, do you remember me? You were my middle school teacher. Today I'm a nurse, she lives in California. And she said, I just wanted to reach out to you to tell you thank you. Wow, I've had that happen, you know, uh, one year, things like that. But when that happened, um, it happened before we traveled to Africa. We knew we were going, uh, you know, for the conference. And she said, I will never forget how you pushed me um, to succeed, that you believed in me. Thank you so much. Well, she left her number and I called her. And I said, do you know who is on the phone? And she said, oh, my goodness, Mrs. Obama, yes, 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 yes. You know, back in the day, that's, they called me Mrs. Obama or Mrs. O. And um, we started talking. And I told her I was very proud of her. And um, today she's a nurse. And, you know, pursuing her life, I think prior to that, she was a real estate agent. And she did very well. And I was just impressed, but it, it meant something to me. It meant something to me that every single adult in a child's life, you never know the mark that you make in their lives. You make a mark in their lives that defines them or that breaks them either way. So, and you know, and I've had that, I've had that too, that it could just be that one person. It could just be one occurrence. It, it might not even be in an extended time, but it will mark them for life. And you know, for this student, it meant a lot to her that she had someone that could encourage her. And then through that, she pursued you know, nursing and things like that. But it does matter that we have, um, and this responsibility is for every adult, every adult that has the opportunity to make an impact in somebody else's life and help them. It could be helping them maybe in finances or maybe in substance, but maybe also in our words, maybe in our touch, um, maybe how we relate to them because it does mark them somehow down the road. So, yes. I think um, my, my background's in education as well. And, and I just think it, it really shows the importance of the education system and for children outside of being at home, school is the place they are the most. And so it's a place that can be, hopefully, somewhere that they feel secure, they feel safe, they feel supported, that can really help them become who they're going to be and, and build them up. 
if they're having and especially if they don't have the the level of support at home but on the flip side school if they have a negative ex experience can also have such a massive a massive impact but i think it just it just speaks to the the importance you know of, of the people in the in the education system who are, are working with children and the thing that i always find interesting but not in a good way <laughs> it's about education and i don't know if you've had the same experience is meeting people who are in education who just don't really like children that much they just think why are you a teacher <laughs> you just because you can tell you it's obvious you can tell and you know if you can tell as an adult or you don't really like children children can feel it and that has a massive impact and it's something that just always strikes me of, you know why are you doing this when you don't you don't really like children. I don't know if you found the same. I, I found the same and I'm laughing because so many things are crossing over, you know, in my memory, in my head. I do. But not only the education, my husband says it this way. If you don't like being a cashier, why are you here? If you don't like being a nurse, why do you work in a hospital? Because it's the same in every profession. Um, I don't know if you've ever gone to a hospital setting and the person that is supposed to be taking care of you hates patients. You can tell it every vibe of their being, being is telling you that. You walk into the store and um, you can see the rude clerk, the rude cashier, and you can tell they really don't want to be here. So it's the same thing. But I think it speaks to something. It speaks to the core of humanity um, when they're dissatisfied with themselves, they become not a difference maker in the positive sense, but in the negative sense. So I saw that a lot. I mm -hmm. saw teachers that basically the best thing you could say is, why are you here? And if you don't like it, please leave these kids alone. You know, but again, you have different professions where that is the case. People are there because not of the um, heart or not of the passion in making a positive impact, but maybe in terms of the financial benefits that is derived from that. And that's why you can tell instantly that mm, you don't like kids, then why are you in the classroom? It's be said the same thing. You don't like helping people. Why are you a cashier? You don't even like to smile or to look up into the eyes of your customers. Why are you here? Or you don't like taking care of patients. Why are you in the healthcare system? I think it's the same in every, you'll find that in every, every facet. And it just happens that in education, you know, we're talking about that, but it's really everywhere. And I have seen it, whether you're looking at, you know, uh, the law profession, whether you're even, uh, you, you know, look at different, how will I say, different gatherings of people, there's always going to be that few that basically gives a bad um, taste or a bad rap to what that whole entity is all about. Yeah, but I've seen that. Mm -hmm. and, and the case, like I said, uh, many are there just for that financial benefit of it and um, nothing more rather than making that impact. And it's, it, it's sad especially when we talk about children, it's sad because it only takes one occurrence to mark a child for life, not in the positive end, but in the negative sense. It only takes one, one occurrence. That's all. Mm. It doesn't even take multiple, just one. Because the way you've been in education, you know this very well. 
the way the human brain is mapped. And the human brain is the most genius computer ever designed and for us in that case created. It's the sharpest camera ever and it takes every picture and is stored there. So one five minutes experience that a child has negatively is stored. That picture is taken, is stored until if it's processed correctly, then it can add to the strength of their life. If it's not processed um, you know, correctly, which is you know, what trauma is all about, then it stays there and it has a negative impact on that child. So um, it just shows you the power of every moment and the power of, of every contact that we make with um, children. It's very important. Yeah. Our brain is biased towards the, the negative feedback. So you have a negative experience or a negative comment or feeling from someone. And it takes, I think it's something like five positives to, to outweigh that one negative. So we just, we absorb it more and then it takes a lot to, to overwrite it. So, you know, I think that's why that your, um, your ex-student who got in touch, it's a really powerful thing. I think to think about people in your life that have really had a positive impact and you know reaching out and thanking them because it gives people such a boost and to communicate and think about that positive impact because we, we really need that and if we're getting negativity we need it so much more the positive to to outweigh that that is so true i love the um word that you use overwrite <laughs> and I love that word very well that you used. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, you know, when trauma happens is that one second or one moment or for some a continuous um, exposure to that negative impact and it marks them for a long time and is stored there. Yes. And think about it. Why does the brain then have the bias towards embracing the positive? That tells us something the way we're wired um, as humans and every human. It doesn't matter who you are, the color of your skin or your culture, you know, in terms of when I say culture, that means um, whether you grew up in Africa or Asia, you know, basically that's what I'm talking about on that, um, not the collectiveness of how we live life. But it doesn't matter whatsoever. Each one you find out, and there's been so many research studies that have been done on this, by the way, you, you find out that the brain, yes, is biased in picking up those experiences that enhances that life. And they have a way of moving to the back of their memory or to the back of the classroom, as, you call, as we will say if we're in the classroom, those negative experiences. And... Many times those negative experiences moving them to the back um, are trauma, um, our response to those tragic or bad things that have happened in our lives. And we leave them there and we don't do anything with them. And we feel they don't affect us. And um, for some that have great resilience, they can keep going on about life. But imagine when you store so much amount of those negative experience at the back. And you know, you keep going forth. Something is gonna happen at a time. And you said the right word there, overwrite. And as we meet other people, as we have life experiences, we grow in life, 
little by little, some of those experiences find their way to the forefront. Mm -hmm. They hinder us, they hinder our potential. And sometimes for some of us, we get stuck in life and it takes a lot to override that. Mm -hmm. And that's what you see, for example, um, people that, that were sexually assaulted, rape victims and things like that. It takes a lot to override that, but it can be overwritten. That is the good news. It can be overwritten. However, for it to be overwritten, it takes the conscientious boldness to confront it and say, I have all these things stored here. I need to bring them to the forefront so that they can be overwritten by either the experiences of an external guide, either a spiritual leader or a trained um, licensed professional, like a counselor, you know, a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever that might be, or trained to be able to help me address them in a way that will overwrite that. And when we say it's overwritten, when we override that, then we call it that you gained victory, you overcame adversity, you overcame the things that could have just, you know, destroyed your life. And, but it's there because that's how every human being is wired. We have that capability, we have that ability. I will never know the reason why, you know, the recent student contacted me. I will never know the reason why. She could have been going through something in her own life. I don't know. I don't know why. But she stopped. She stopped what she was doing. She felt, in fact, she um, sent the picture of the certificate I gave her. Uh, I had given her a certificate for being one of the um, top students. And I made a note on it, encouraging her, you know, to go for it. She kept it. You know, she kept it. And kept it either as a memorial or something that meant something to her, um, that she could always go back. So maybe at that point in her life, she, never, she needed to override some things. That became a touch of reference for her. And, you know, she made the contact. And when I called her, I think she was more surprised um, when I actually called. And she's like, I cannot believe it. I said, yes, yeah. Um, so... But it goes back to show you, um, Hannah, that as humans, pain is a common denominator. And sometimes the negative experiences are also common denominators. The positives are how we override the negative occurrences that have been stored is not equal. Mm. Because not everyone can easily override some of the negatives that have been stored. And some have not even been able to override that in order to actually pursue a purposeful or meaningful life. Mm. Yeah. So which is why, you know, the help of professionals or helping people, if you've experienced something and able to help others override that is very important. Yeah. Because the ability to override is not created equal. Mm. So a couple of things I wanted to say about what you said the first um, the thing with the certificate really struck me because that's something that I imagine is is quite small, something that maybe you did just, you know, for a lot of students, but even if it's something we think is quite small, can have a massive impact on the other person. So just sharing just small parts or small positives can have a massive impact on the individual. So that really struck me that it was 
something quite simple but had, had a massive impact. And then I think the other thing I wanted to say about when you were saying about bringing things forward that have been have been stored at the back and then being able to overwrite them, that being able to process and, and deal with the difficult things that you've gone through is a difficult, painful experience because you have to sort of bring it all up and, and go through it. And it's the kind of thing that they're absolutely having someone separate who's a professional who can who can guide you through it is so important and I think that's why a lot of people don't do it because it's not easy and it is not comfortable it's processing it to then be able to integrate it and and move forward that's very true that's very true but you know Anna that's why we have people like you we have people like you in your podcast what you do beaming hope to so many that cannot and that's why I do what I do as well and many others when you have tasted um, freedom and you have tasted what it means to be free on the inside it just makes perfect sense in the alignment of who you are to want others to taste it as well mm. and you want to it's almost like a beggar that found food, you now show other beggars how to find food. Mm. Or like the saying that they say, you know, that don't just give someone fish all the time, but teach them how to fish. And teaching how to fish is a means of a process, which is painful, of learning how to deal with those things that have impacted who we are or who we are supposed to be, that we've hidden and we've buried um, for so long, but it gets to a point in time where they say the proverb, the rubber meets the road, where we have to confront it because two things will happen. If I don't confront it, I am just going to be stuck and settle for whatever that is. And that's it. Or I am going to take this hard road, confront it. Yes go through whatever needs to. However, I know that at the end of this experience, I'm going to be much better than where I am right now. Because anyone that has gone through a traumatic um, event or occurrence and have stored those negatives and now they impact, they've stored them, you know, um, right there in that part of their brain, it comes to a time, and I'll give you an example where the rubber meets the road. You've stored, you've stored so many traumatic things and you've stored it there, you refuse to confront it. And I'm talking with example, I'm, I'm one, you know, childhood trauma. It comes to a point in time, your health begins to fail. Um, maybe all of a sudden, you know, you're having high blood pressure. Maybe all of a sudden, you're breaking out in rashes and hives all over. And you go to the doctor and they prescribe you different medications and it just doesn't work. And you're wondering what's going on. At that point in time, they all, you're going back to the hospital. They're running different tests on you, right? That's where the rubber meets the road because all those things that have been stored, they've not been processed. They've not been dealt with. Now they're impacting another part of your being, which is your health. You kind of see it. So is either we teach people, which is why your, uh, your podcast 
is very beneficial is either we teach people that listen to your body, listen to what's going on on the inside of you. And it's painful. That's true. It's uncomfortable. But when you go through the confrontation of that pain, the uncomfortableness of the pain, you're going to come out much better than where you are now. So I have a choice to make. And so we all, and anyone that has overcome anything will tell you that, especially trauma. You have to confront it because if you don't, it's buried there, but is impacting you in unknown ways yet until the rubber meets the road and it begins to impact you on known ways. And the known ways will be your health is failing and different things are happening. And that is not the way to live life. That's not the way to live life at all, especially when it comes to the health aspect of it. And a lot of, a lot of research has been done on the correlation of what trauma has to the central nervous system, which makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because the central nervous system is the response center of our body, of our being. That's how we respond. The whole world right now is on high alert because of the coronavirus, right? And so um, on high alert from government to um, families, there's that high alertness on things that will be done, right? But then we, we, we see the place that the central nervous system plays that we can keep people aware and let them know that it's not just something that jumps at you. And the scientific world will say, if you have a strong immune system, it's not something you you basically have to be so concerned about, right? But we know because we're humans, we're interacting, we're flying, we're traveling, we're everywhere, that the awareness needs to be made because some people might not even know it's there. It's the same thing with trauma. We bring awareness to people to let them know that sometimes you might not even know it's there. You might not even know a, a traumatic thing happened and if you look at stories of a lot of people that have confronted their trauma, a lot of them either took the responsibility and blamed themselves for the trauma, or a lot of them did not even know it occurred. So they were not even able to recognize the symptoms when the robber met the road in their life. So that's why awareness is very important, bringing awareness for people to be aware if you've ever had a traumatic thing happen in your life, um, at one point in time, it will need to be confronted because if not, it's going to impact other areas of your life. Health is just one of them. It's going to probably impact whether your spiritual life or your relationship with others because it has a tendency of painting. When I say painting, painting your outlook on life. And again, that's what it does. It's stored back there, but it's having the negative impact and being able to override that, override it, requires specialized tools to give to people. Awareness is the beginning of it. Um, I've, I've seen people that were not aware that they had buried trauma, but they could tell you vividly about the traumatic event that happened years ago in their life. 
But then if they reflected back, they could see the signposts of some key things, but because they were never aware, they downplayed it, overlooked it, and just kept going mm -hmm. until they got to a point they could just not keep going anymore. And they realized, ha, huh, I have to confront this. It's painful. That's true. Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's for the best. And look at it as cleaning out a very dirty container. It's uncomfortable cleaning out the dirty container. Sometimes you have to wear gloves to clean it all out. But look at the beauty that you envisage when you clean out that dirty container. That dirty container is going to be clean and you're going to ensure you maintain it clean so that it doesn't get dirty again. And that's the essence of confronting trauma, uh, even though it's painful because you have to relieve it, basically. But the good thing is relieving it, confronting it, you get to the other end, you get the relief of what has kept you stuck for that long that made the container dirty to begin with. And you're able to now experience some things you've never experienced before. The new things that you've now experienced attest to the fact that, wow, I had all this. I'm glad I went on this journey myself. So the awareness is the beginning of it. Yeah, I think awareness and self-awareness is, is such a important thing and such a big thing and something that a lot of people don't really have that awareness of being able to check in with themselves and, and see how they're doing just generally. And it's something that I found doing the podcast kind of comes up when you talk to people and they're talking about their own journey and what they've learned you can see the self-awareness there where they've actually you know really looked at the things they've gone through and and learned from them and then they're able to have this awareness of themselves and they can then see when when things are coming up or when things are um blocking their path they or when things just aren't aren't right with them they have that awareness so thank you for drawing attention to that because i think it's such a big thing that we can almost like sleepwalk through life a little bit not really aware of ourselves um and i think it is so important so thank you well it's a pleasure that's why we're doing this you know in bringing awareness so that we can enlighten educate and empower um, people to pay close attention and you know once they are able to pay close attention then they're able to begin the journey and um it could be painful um uncomfortable but there are great benefits on the other side benefits like joy like peace and yes the empowerment of that self-awareness that you then have and um it empowers you and you begin to know how the best thinking pattern that you need to embrace is because you know Part of that awareness is our thinking pattern also, because for a lot of people that have gone through trauma, their thinking patterns are limited. Sometimes they've been broken down. Sometimes um, they're not healthy thinking pattern. They, they're thinking in fear and they make decisions out of fear and they're not able to ask themselves, why do they keep making decisions out of fear instead of out of um, for me, faith or how the world would say 
um, confident decision-making that I've looked at all evidences presented in this scenario and I am making a consensual decision like this. And so, yeah, um, so it does, it, 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 it's a big deal. It's a big thing that forced awareness because um, if I'm not aware that I even have trauma, where, how am I going to begin my journey? How am I going to overwrite all the negative self-talk you know, and looking at people, you can tell whether they have negative self-talk or not, because mm -hmm. negative self-talk is not, um, it's not confined to a specific class of people. Negative self-talk is confined to every class. It doesn't matter what kind of status you have, whether a billionaire, millionaire, you know, upper class, middle class, lower, it does not matter because you're living with you all the time. And um, unfortunately, that's what leads to people taking their own lives mm -hmm. because it's this um, negative self-talk and it impacts life. And this is very serious. It's important, which is the awareness is important. And I think awareness is one. The second thing is making it okay and removing the label that comes with mental health or mental emotional awareness. I don't know how it is in the UK. I know in the culture I grew up in, it's a taboo. You don't even, you don't even say it. You don't even mention it. And so um, mental health or mental illness is seen as a big label of no, no, we don't go there. And so we have to make it okay. It's okay. It's part of life because when we don't learn how to have healthy thinking patterns, the negative occurrences that have been stored continuously impact the daily thinking pattern and it clouds everything else. How we see life, how we see um, situations or how we see um, people, it clouds all that. And um, I've been able to work with so many people um, that they're afraid to get up in the morning. They're afraid to get out of their house. I work with people like that. And we think oh, it's okay. It's not. We were never meant to live life that way. So you begin to help bring the awareness. Why are you afraid to wake up in the morning? Why are you afraid to get out of the house? Do you kind of see that? And little by little, they start confronting it and it takes them down. By the time you get to the origin, it takes them to the trauma because the trauma built over years to get them to that point. And so if we're not able to ask those targeted questions and help guide people along the way, they won't be able to address. They'll think it's okay. It's normal. Um, to not want to get out, to not want to do this, to not want to do this, or, the, or to not want to do this. They think it's normal. It's inhibiting. But again, is the impact of all the negative occurrences that have been stored through the years, never confronted, never brought out to the um, forefront. And before you know it, there's negative self-talk and limitations going on consistently. And then think about it. That's why we need caring adults working with our kids in all schools, because children do that too. And children will even add to the point that they think it's their fault that the, the trauma happened or the tragic thing happened.
Now they lay that on top and now they carry that all through their life. Never dealt with professionally to be able to dissociate the occurrence and you know find healing, find wholeness and meaning to their life and be able to do that. So it's important. It's very important. I think um, with the, the mental health and mental illness thing in the UK, it's something that is improving, that we're having more conversations about it, but there's still a long way to go, that there's still some mental illness conditions that I guess are, are better understood than others, that have a, a better perception of them than others. So that's part of the reason for this podcast to talk about lots of these topics and bring awareness to them and have conversations and try and break down some of that, the misconceptions around them or the stigma around them. So that's sort of what we're all about. Um, so I'd love to, um, to go through some of the standard questions that I ask everyone with you and hear some of your, your, your thoughts around them. So my first one, and I heard this word pop up in something you said just a little while ago. Uh, so my first one is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy? Wow. Um, when I saw that question, I'm like, oh, I love that. <laughs> what boosts my mood and uh, is spending time, you know, you know that already, that faith is very crucial. My relationship with God is very crucial for me. So spending time in prayer is one that boosts my mood and um, um, reading uh, my Bible is very important for me. Taking nature works. And uh, it's important, even if it's around my neighborhood, just a fresh air. Uh, this week, my husband and I were um, at a place, you know, that we were there for almost, I want to say maybe about nine hours with um, a relative. And so we were cooked up in that building for that long. When we got out, I said, oh, fresh air. You know, so uh, it means a lot to me. And it, it, it's something that, you know, you know what it is. Fresh air to the lungs does something for the oxygen that goes to your brain. So it's very important. So it's important for me, um, you know, having those works. And another thing that boosts my joy is putting courage in people. Because uh, many times, especially people that have stored all the negative occurrences at the, at the back of their brains, of their minds that have not been processed, many times they find it very difficult um, to be courageous and courageous like facing and being aware and confronting the pain that they're hiding or masking. And the thing is, once you've done that, you can look and you can say, oh, yes, that person is real. Why are you able to, you know? There's the connection that you are able to make and because you've gone on that journey yourself, you know? And another thing is being um, able to see the light turned on. I have the honor of um, working with women in a weekly basis whereby we study um, scriptures together. And I think, was it last week, one of them said something that, oh, I get it now. It's almost like an eureka moment, you know, the moment. And you know that because you're a teacher. So you know those moments in the classroom when you've spent so many times explaining and going over things. And you can see the eyes of your students. You can see that is like this over their heads. 
you take another strategy, you take another activity, you know, you have them work in groups, you have them talk about it, or something happens when the light goes on. It's like you won the lottery. <laughs> so um, for me, that is a joy booster. So in that order, you know, spending time in prayer, I'm spending time in my Bible, I'm taking nature walks, putting courage in people, letting them know that, no, you've got this, you've got this. And seeing the light um, come on, it gives me tremendous joy that, you know, I cannot even put any label on that. Yes. Hmm. And I wonder, with my next question, I wonder if some of the, the same things might come up, but we'll see. The second question is, what makes life meaningful for you? That's a great question. What makes life meaningful for me is leaving out um, the purpose that I was created for. And every human being has one. And, you know, in the subject of math, you have the number zero, right? The number zero that doesn't affect or change anything. No human being is a zero. No human being is a zero. There's a purpose. And uh, it's said that your life's journey at first is to figure out that purpose. And once it fi it's figured out, there is just a fire and that lights you up. And that's it. Because there's nothing as powerful as a man or a woman that is living a purposeful life. So for me, that's very important. And um, like I said, for me, it's grown through the years in different seasons of life. Right now, I am having the greatest fun helping people uncover, bring awareness, put courage in them, seeing that light um, turned on in different form of addressing and confronting those traumas that they've buried. Why? Because I was one, right? But I know the joy and the power and the purpose that comes from embarking on that journey to find healing, restoration, and wholeness. There's nothing compared to it. So that is um, my living purpose. And I'm grateful for the different um, formats that that comes in to put courage in people, to see the light turned on and set them on their journey of restoration. So my next question, we, uh, in, on the podcast, we touch on mental health. And I know we've talked about that, that briefly today. Um, but we, we also, I think, more so focus on mental wellness because like we said, that is something for everyone, even if people don't experience a period of mental illness, we all have this mental world that, that I personally think we should be looking after. <laughs> but uh, my question is, what does mental wellness mean to you? And how do you look after your own mental well-being? Very good question. Uh, mental wellness for me is the ability to be fit mentally. You know, um, I know it's the same in the UK, uh, because it's almost the same all over the world, that we have exercise enthusiastics, you know, that exercising is the ideal. And that industry is booming all the time, right? To help people stay fit and fit physically. You can carry yourself, you know. But we don't think about that same kind of enthusiasm when it comes to being fit mentally. Now, and you, someone might say, well, I thought that comes naturally. 
yes, it should come naturally, but because we're humans and we live in the world that it's open to all kinds of positive experiences, negative experiences, and some people have one or the other more than the other, and then it impacts them. It impacts their livelihood, and then they have trauma. Um, they're confronted with that. And what that does is that be begins um, a pattern in their life, which puts them either on restrictive type of thinking or um, destructive patterns of thinking and without even knowing it. And so for me, um, mental wellness is the ability to be fit. The same enthusiasm we have about staying um, fit, you know, going to the gym, um, walking out to build our muscle, to be fit. We need the same mentally. That's important because being mentally fit means that I begin to champion my attitude about myself, about others, and it champions everything that flows from that thinking. And that means my actions, my behavior, my relationships. So it's important staying mentally fit with no destructive or restrictive patterns of thinking. How do you keep yourself mentally fit? Very good question. I'm a firm believer. I need a vacation every week. I know. And you say, oh, vacation? Well, I don't have to go to uh, Hawaii, you know, every week. But what that means for me is I need a day off every week, a time of do nothing. That means there's no work, there's no email, there's no nothing. And if you, um, if you call me, I will not even pick up calls because most of the time my phones are off during that time. So you will not be able to get me whatsoever and you will not get any response. And you'll say, wow, she's always very quick in responding to me. I'm just not getting anything. Yes, I'm on vacation that week. <laughs> and I do that every week. And um, it allows me to have um, moments that I call reflective time of prayer, reflective time of studying, because that's how I recharge myself, um, an extended time of some might call it meditation, um, I call it worship, and I just soak myself um, in those uh, moments. It's, it, you say, oh, how does that look like? That means I'm, I'm on vacation, um, it, and it, it can be, and I schedule, I schedule those. It can be any day, but typically you're either looking at a Friday, a Saturday, or a Sunday, and I typically will not do all the things that I do on your typical work day. Is just my day to relax, to be, and I'm not in any hurried, I don't have any hurried schedule, so I can spend two hours with my food, really. I can spend two hours with my food, I can decide and decide I am just going to take a spoon now and then I'm lost in this reflective music that is playing and then I take another one, it recharges me. So that's how I take care of my mental well-being. It's necessary for me. I disconnect from anything that requires the heavy lifting of work, per se, in my mind. And I just be. And I do that every week. Yes. I didn't used to do that before. I didn't used to do that before. When you're younger, you feel that you can just do every single thing, you know, and it catches up on you. It does catch up on you. And so um, now 
It's very, very important. It's important. Uh, like my husband says, you know, you um, save all life more as you get older, which, which is very, very, very true. So, yeah. I love that idea of having weekly holidays because I think sometimes we get so caught up on, I guess, like you said, the doing everything, but also I think with, with the idea of holidays that we have like one big one a year or something like that. And so we kind of go through really possibly stressful, full on life, just living for these big like week off. And that is not a way to, to base a life on these couple of big events in a year. It is the every day. And so building in that time every day doesn't have to be fancier way, but just downtime for yourself, I think is a fab idea of, yeah. You said it, you said it perfectly well. You said it perfectly well, very true. And I think our whole culture leaves for those big moments. Mm -hmm. And we miss the simple moments of life because those simple moments of life are what makes us us and what makes our life. And without those simple, meaningful moments that we cherish, that means we're just living for those big moments because typically those big moments are highlight or out there. And, you know, you're, you're right, you know, the big vacations. I know for our family, we take a family vacation once a year. Um, but being able to, and the reason is because everybody lives in different parts of the world. So it gives us time, you know, to all come together. Um, but if I only leave for that, imagine the amount of stress I've stored up. <laughs> you get to that big event and you're so stressed that you spend the whole time just coming down from that stress that you don't actually really get to appreciate it. So you're exactly. You're coming down from the stress and then towards the end you're like oh i've got to get back to it so it starts up again because you've got to go home so yeah, yeah. <laughs> very true you said it perfectly well yes so i love i love the um all the things that i've learned you know and someone asked me the other day that oh it's kind of strange you say you're thankful for um, your trauma. And, you know, they were referring, I was doing a virtual one-on-one -on -one and they were referring to, you know, my book that they had. And I said, yeah, I said, wow, um, I'm not there yet. I said, well, just take it moment by moment, you'll get there. Because when you are able to see the good that came out of the bad, you're able to see how you can help others. And, uh, and you'll get there, but you've got to process everything attached to it, you know, and the stressors don't allow us to be able to do that because you're going, 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 going. I know in the teaching profession in education is that way, you know, um, right now is weekend teachers are writing lesson plans and I love them, bless their hearts. They're not even having time to spend with their family or their children. They're writing lesson plans because it has to be submitted before Monday, you know, and um, then they spend Sunday going through the lesson they're going to teach in their head, you know, everything. And here comes Monday. They're there very early with kids, you know, and they do it Monday. They do it Tuesday all the way and they continue the cycle. They never have a time to really stop. Mm -hmm. It's one of the most stressful um, professions. You know, they really don't have time to stop. When you look at the medical field, you know, a lot of medical professionals work either a three-day shift 
or a four-day shift. And that three-day shift, they could work 16 hours or 18 hours or 12 hours. But after the three days, they have all these four days to recharge themselves, you know. And whether it's four days, they have all that to recharge themselves. Um, education doesn't have that. Because even during the times that they're off on weekends, and I know that because I taught high school and middle school, your students contact you. Because most of the time they have your phone number, you give your phone number to them. So, and many times it's not about math or science or social studies or English language arts. Many times it's to ask your opinion about something that just happened at home or a relationship they're in, especially if they have boyfriend, girlfriend scenarios in high school. And you're constantly having, you know, to help them, you know, untie, you know, the different knots that they're in. So, yeah. Mm -hmm stressors really i don't know if that happens so much in the uk because it's very clear boundaries about not giving out telephone numbers but i know via email that might be quite a common one of, of students emailing you questions or, or things like that that's good that you don't do that in the uk here you know for teachers that care they care with their whole being so uh you know yeah it's it's, it's very much um, a safeguarding thing it's about that pr protecting boundaries but yeah, and also for, for the teachers that, that um, yeah, that kind of protection. Uh, next question for you is, how would you describe your own mindset? Excellent question. My own mindset is one of the power of personal responsibility. And it's important that mindset lends you to a victor mindset, um, because what that does is it positions you to own all your stuff and i call that the good bad and the ugly you own your stuff and it empowers you to unlock your potential um, with a no excuse approach um, to life and to take full ownership of your choices of your decisions and that um, mindset of the personal um, responsibility helps you to be very mindful because you're very mindful on the impact that you're making and the choices that follow because you recognize that it determines everything. And it places you in a powerful position because you no longer have to have this mindset that, oh, it's somebody else's fault. No, the power is transferred when you can say, is mine. I'm taking personal responsibility. So let's say I set out a goal and you say, well, because of what they did, I couldn't meet my goal. No, that's a powerless mindset. You take personal responsibility and say, these are my goals and it's my responsibility to set at meeting those goals. And I'm going to take the full responsibility to do whatever needs to be done. If I need to get help to achieve that goal, that's exactly what's going to happen. Do you see the two different um, mindset? So it places you in a powerful place to have that mindset of um, personal responsibility because there's no excuses to it and there's no blame game to it either. You own it. And it's more like, it's more like when you get in the car, you know, in your garage and you don't, I want to go out. Then I go sit in the passenger side. I'm waiting for somebody to come and drive the car. 
you, you kind of get it. Mm -hmm. I get in the driver's seat and I sit on there. I'm the one that turns the ignition and I drive the car to where I'm going. It is that kind of mindset. That's what that means, the personal responsibility mindset. Um, it takes the blame game off. It puts the responsibility fully on you. It takes all the excuses off. And of course, you know by now, the no excuses approach to life was instilled in me by my grandparents. So especially my grandmother. Um, so in putting that in me and um, that is my um, mindset. You mm -hmm. have to own it and you have to go for it. You have to take it. No excuses whatsoever. Um, you take that full ownership and remove everything else that puts anything on others but yourself. You're able to own that. It's a powerful place and a very powerful place of hope um, to be in, especially helping you know, people that have gone through trauma, processing or confronting the trauma. Mm. I love the, the analogy of, of being in the driving seat, and that's one that I've talked about before, uh, you know, that quite often we can be that in the passenger seat and we're just kind of, like, like I said, the sleepwalking through life, you're just in the passenger seat, just kind of, you know, going along and actually moving into the driving seat is really, really powerful and something that we are able to do. And yeah, I love that idea of um, personal responsibility. So thank you for that. It's a pleasure. My next question, um, I normally ask guests on the, on the podcast to leave listeners with between one and three strategies that are things that they can put in place in their life that are going to have a massive impact. So could you share your one to three things that you would suggest that people do? Yes, I'll be glad to. I will share two and two um, that will help not just um, people that might be carrying trauma, but for anyone that wants to achieve their goal or want to achieve their potential. The first one is forgiveness. No matter what must have happened to you or done to you, um, the ability to forgive, it's a big, big, big thing in experiencing new life inside of you and setting out to meet, meet those goals. Why is it possible for that? Um, forgiveness is really powerful because it unhinges the limiting mindset. Because many times when you know um, people have gone through um, negative things, whether it's trauma or they've been victims of you know, one thing or the other that has really negatively impacted their life and is still stored there, it sets into the thinking pattern that that person did that to me. So they owe me so much. Do you see the powerlessness in that? And yes, I don't in any form or fashion minimize what happened um, in any form or what someone could have done or did do. However, in order to unlock that and overwrite that negative impact so that they can use that as fuel to propel themselves forward, forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness is not for that person. Forgiveness is for you because that negative thinking or that painful event or that painful memory is being relieved inside of you every time you think about the situation or you think about the person, 
because you have not forgiven. So that forgiveness, uh, when people are able to see that it's not for the other person, it's for you. You forgive them and also forgive yourself. Forgive yourself maybe if it's in a case that um, you felt that, oh, I should have known better, but I didn't. You have to forgive yourself by releasing um, the entire account, the pain associated with that. It means you're going to let it go and you're going to now see and use that as the positive to propel you forward. So forgiveness is very important. And I always say, you know, you've forgiven when there's no longer pain attached to the memory. Rather, there is gratitude. And that's why, you know, the person I said that was asking me that, oh, I'm thankful for that. Well, there's gratitude that positive results came out of it. Positive result of the peace, the joy that you now have that you didn't have before. If it was causing you health problems, now you have good health. If you were no longer aware before, now you have the self-awareness to be able to uh, monitor those thinking patterns. Those are all good things that came out of the fact that you took the step to forgive. So forgiveness is one of the strategies to living a purposeful, meaningful life. The um, second thing is the aspect of ability to forgive. It frees you on the inside now to experience new things. So forgiveness, almost look at it as a lead. It puts a lead on you. So first you have to forgive and you take that lead off. Now it opens you up to experience life in a new way because you've been experiencing life one way before, but now because you have forgiven and they're different. And I want to say this because I don't want it to sound so easy because I know it's not, especially depending on the level of trauma that people have to deal with. So every single one, but it's a process. You begin it with the determination that you will achieve that goal. You will get there. You will release the um, occurrence. You will release the person or the people involved. And now you want their best and you recognize that, boy, they do need help too. And you do release all that. And now you see the good that is done inside of you, health-wise, your inner um, healing and all that. Now it frees you up the second thing. The forgiveness now leads you to experience life in a new way. Experiencing life in a new way, it's really important in living life um, purposefully and moving on. Because refusing to let go keeps you in the status quo and keeps you in the same repetitive pattern of thinking of life. And so in order to break loose from that, the need is there, number one, to forgive and forgiving now leads you to live and experience life in a new way. Uh, look at you and I now. I'm experiencing life in a new way, getting to talk with you and we're getting to share and help people. 
that's what it is. But if you stay in the status quo and you don't confront those things, you don't um, embark on your journey of healing, of restoration, of wholeness, you will never know what is out there for you to experience life in a new way. Yes. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I love both of those, but I particularly love what you're saying about forgiveness because I think that's so key that it is not about, I mean, you're forgiving the other person, but it's not about them, it's about you. And because if you are holding on to that feeling, you're hurting yourself, you're holding yourself back. And I think that's, that, as you said, is the really key thing to remember that you're reliving it and you're limiting yourself by, by holding on to it and actually forgiving even if you don't say it to them, just within yourself, forgiving them releases you from that. And then, like you said, opens you up to being able to um, experience new things. So thank you so much for those. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. This is important in bringing um, awareness, education, and empowering people um, mm -hmm. to be able to seek uh, mental health and well mental mm -hmm. wellness. I mean, that's what we're all about, the sort of tagline with it thing we say at the beginning is about informing inspiring and empowering people to live a, a meaningful joyful and healthy life that's our kind of little <laughs> well that's good i like that <laughs> yeah yeah um and and you know it's one of the things that i love to do is obviously you know the benefit but that hopefully listeners get from it but i also personally find it so interesting to talk to so many people from around the world and share experiences and i find it really interesting to see that even people from completely different walks of life, completely different faith backgrounds or political backgrounds, there's still lots of common ground and lots of things that we agree on. Then there might be things that, uh, that we disagree on, but to see that commonality, um, I find really interesting. So. I love the, I love what you said, um, because when you look at common ground, you look at common ground of humanity, right? And common ground of humanity, you and I, we want to live in a world whereby everyone has um, the um, uh, ability or the tools to be able to um, better themselves and help others. And so it becomes important um, for in what you're doing in mental wellness, uh, in seeing how important that is. And you're so right, because when we look at mental breakdowns or lack of mental health, it cuts across all people. And all people, no matter how you slice it, you know, political or, um, you know, race or culture, it doesn't matter. It cuts through. But one thing that stands out is truth is the common denominator that brings um, everyone together or to healing or to wholeness. And it doesn't matter who you are from any culture. Forgiveness is the truth. When applied, you will experience new life. You kind of see that. And so, and I think that's the beautiful thing um, that, you know, something that, you know, cuts across and makes us as humans much better. And so um, 
forgiveness is one of those key truths. It doesn't change because I am in this part of the world. I'm in that part of the world. If somebody did something to you that, you know, basically destabilized you all through, you know, in your life and very hurtful, very painful, and is not being dealt with. It's a key truth that will set no matter who you are free that it's not for that person. And it's not, we're not giving the other people a free license, by the way, because I'm very, very, because I have a lot of um, professional counselors, friends. So I really appreciate all they do um, in helping humanity um, untie the knots in their lives. So it's not to make that person, you know, um, you know free in that sense, however, this thing of unforgiveness torments you. It torments you at night. It torments you when you sleep. It torments your health. It torments your well-being, your mental capacity. It torments your inner strength. It torments everything. And really, when you come to think about it, it's not worth it. Just release, 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 and let it go so you can experience new life. Yes, mm, absolutely. Brilliant. And, and my last question for you is if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about your book that you wrote, about the, um, the work that you and your husband are doing, where can they find you? Where can they connect with you online? Okay, great. I will love for them to be able to do that. So if they want to connect with me, there are two places. One um, for the book, they can go to Crush to Restored. It's www.crush, the number two, restored.org. And they will be able to contact me there. There are resources there for them. And then secondly, the work that my husband and I um, do is through Oasis. Focus Inc., a nonprofit organization, and they can connect through there as well and go to www.oasisfocus.org and connect with us on there. And um, either one of those two will lead them to social platforms, um, email, phone numbers um, that they can call, and I will be so, so happy, glad um, to help them. I enjoy uh, unpacking with people those limiting mindset that has been caused through um, trauma. Mm. So. Amazing. Thank you. For that. And we can put links to both of those in the show notes. Thank you so, so much, Faye. I've really enjoyed talking to you. And, and it's been so interesting to hear a bit about your experience and, you, and your background and, and to really delve into trauma, which I think is something that in previous podcast episodes, we've maybe touched on a little bit, but we've not really talked about trauma so in depth and I think that's it's really important to do because we I think all pick up trauma through our life even if we can't think of like a big traumatic event it's something that we all pick up and so I think it's really important to explore and and think about how we can unpack that so thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights and I've, I've just really enjoyed connecting with you and, and chatting to you today I want to say a big thank you, Anna. I have to say thank you to you for having me and um, having this conversation of the mind and heart 
in helping people unpack um, trauma. You are doing a tremendous work with your podcast and um, it allows people anywhere they are to be able to tune in and get things that they might not be able to get through sitting one-on-one with a licensed counselor, um, you know, um, in case their mental situation is clinical. And so thank you so much for all that you do. It's been an honor for me to get to share with you and your audience. And it's my heart, um, hope, and prayer that it will be a source of accelerator in their restoration journey and wholeness journey. So thank you for having me. Thanks again to Faye. I really, really enjoyed this conversation and I hope that you have got a lot from it. Uh, Just a couple of things. Remember, we have got both our Facebook groups going. So we have our Psyche Mental Wellbeing Community, which is like a peer support type group to be uplifted, uh, to go for support and to support others. We have our group for parents, support your child's mental health. So as it says, you can see I name things what they are (laughs) rather than fancy names. That's a place for support if you're a parent to help you to support your child's mental health, but also your own because they are very much linked. And on the 21st of July, so just over a week away, I have a webinar on how to help your child's mental health and well-being. So we're really diving into the adolescent brain. We're diving into how you can support your child, how you can support yourself Uh, some helpful strategies and also uh, an opportunity to ask questions so definitely check that out go to our facebook page at psyche coaching p-s-y-k-h-e for the links to the event and our groups and last thing for me is our patreon site so if you love the podcast and you want to support us and help us to continue to have honest conversations challenge stigma and offer practical advice then you can become a patron, which means you'll get access to bonus episodes, exclusive content, and uh, a say in the kind of creative direction that we go in. So our Patreon site is patreon.com slash psyche wellbeing. There's a couple of different levels and all the information's on there. Um, But yeah, if you love the show, we would love it if you would support us and also rate, review uh, and recommend. So that is it. Yeah, have a fantastic week and I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode. Take care. Bye.